Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me. Hello. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and I also write an advice column. Whenever I research my pieces, I get to speak to various highly knowledgeable experts, and I always come off the phone buzzing with everything I've learnt. These conversations usually happen in private and have to be cut down in order to fit my word count. But here, for the first time, you have a chance to listen to the sort of conversations we have in much more detail and depth. I think the subject of siblings is vastly overlooked. It's often the longest relationship we have in our lives, and it can be, if not as important, almost as important as the parental child one. How we're treated by our siblings can have profound and sometimes lifelong effects on us. It can make us feel loved and supported, or bullied, undermined, and wrong-footed. Have you ever wondered why you react to certain people in a certain way? It could be because they remind you of your siblings. Doing the job I do as the Guardian's agony aunt has also taught me that children can often reflect what's going on higher up the food chain, if you like. That is, they can reflect what's happening at home between the parents. Children are fantastic mirrors to our own behaviour. And here's something else I learned which not only fascinated me, but I found really useful as a mother. A child can project onto a sibling, especially a younger one, how they are being made to feel themselves. So if your older child is bullying or rejecting a younger sibling, instead of telling them off, you may want to look at what's happening in their world. Once you understand sibling relationships, honestly, I think you become a more responsive, compassionate parent. I think a little sibling rivalry is probably inevitable, but any more than that is a sign of something else going on. And as parents, it's our responsibility to help children work on that. This is the ideal podcast to listen to if you have one child and are planning to add another. How can you introduce the baby successfully? Also, if you have a brother and sister and you don't get on very well with them, this podcast may help you work out why. In this podcast, I talk to psychotherapist Nicole Addis. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Nicole, one of the things I've come to learn from doing this column over the years, reading people's letters, I've sort of seen some quite aware parents sort of writing saying, my children have this issue. I think it might be something to do with us and others that are really unaware that their behavior impacts at all 
on their children and particularly the sibling relationship. So I think my first question to you really is, how important is it that we get on with our siblings? I think you're absolutely right that our sibling relationships are with us from a lifetime and they start, you know, cradle to grave. And if these relationships work well, they're incredibly supportive. They're incredibly acknowledging and can see us through many of the ups and downs of life. If they go wrong, they're equally as debilitating and toxic. And as to whether or not how important it is that we get on with our siblings, what I would say to that is if the relationship has fractured but can be mended, then it's probably worth every ounce of effort because these relationships will take you through life and be of the most and deepest relational connections. You talked about if they go wrong, why might they go wrong? There are a number of reasons why a sibling relationship might go wrong and that's probably one of the biggest questions. It's also, Annalisa, probably the reason why when I was looking into this ahead of this conversation, it was really interesting to note, and I think you may have mentioned something previously, that in fact there's not a lot of literature out there around the sibling relationship. In fact, we only really see it come into the annals of psychotherapy and psychology in the last 15 years. And I think that's because there are so many variables to a good relationship and a bad relationship that it's really difficult to measure. But some of the common suggestions for a relationship, a sibling relationship, fracturing or going wrong are favoritism, the age gap where you fall in the lineup of um, the sibling hierarchy. And I think most importantly for me, really, it's about what's going on at home and where the relationship and the experience of relationship, what it has at its core. And for me, that starts with the primary caregivers. Okay, well, go through those in turn but you mentioned the favorite child and I think a lot of people think being the favorite child is the child to be but actually it can have its own problems can't it first of all let's talk about why might parents have a favorite child I mean I'm talking about you know real distinct differences what I really want to say as well is the aim for me is always not to consciously name shame or blame you know we're all human and we get it wrong and Winnicott who's one of the great developmental psychoanalysts said you know it's not about the mistakes you make as parents it's what you do with them that counts mm. I think it's true to say that quite naturally parents will have a favorite on some level at some time the reason for this is because you know there's a, there's a sort of primitive and evolutionary thing to having children being in a family, being a parent. You know, we are instinctively and innately programmed to procreate and we want our strongest and our toughest and our fairest offspring to survive. It's the way we will carry forward. It's the way society will grow and we, you know, we don't go extinct. There's a little bit of biology around it, but usually some of the reasons we might favor a child is a thing called reproductive narcissism. This mm -hmm. is where we naturally lean towards the child that, that's like us. So it might be that I see in one of my children 
a tendency or a leniency towards books and literature, something I'm very passionate to. So, so there's a natural pull to stroke. When I say stroke, that's a, a psychological term for affirm, acknowledge, and be stimulated by that child. So we, we unconsciously may gravitate towards the child that most likely resembles us. Any idea why? It's possibly something to do with that, you know, wanting the opposite, you know, having an attraction in the opposite sex in a good way and wanting to be acknowledged at some sort of quite basic primitive level by them. There's also things like other precursors to favouritism are the heir apparent, you know, seeing your firstborn again as being the uh, the carrier of the the genes, the carrier of the uh, the name. I've seen lots of problems associated with being the favourite child or the golden child. And one of the things that a lot of therapists say to me, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts, is that the favourite child can sometimes feel incredible pressure, that they can't fail. I've had letters from people saying that the parents talk to them and tell them they're the favourite and say things like, where did I go wrong with your brother or your sister? And that, that puts them in an impossible situation. Why is it really important that parents don't do that? The reason it's really important that parents don't do it, and I think to a degree, you know, we have to ease up on parents sometimes because it depends on what's going on in their lives. It depends on what's going on in their relationship with, you know, uh, their partners and with each other, that often whatever is upsetting us or is um, triggering us is not always completely in our awareness. And we will project those unhappinesses, sadnesses, scares out into the family scenario. And often I think what happens is parents will lean towards a child for emotional support. And that can often translate into some sort of favoritism. People, you know, will tell me always that, or a lot of the time that, you know, mom always turned to me in times of crises. I was always mommy's little helper. I looked after her when this was happening or that was happening, or I know dad expected this of me. And so it was my duty to do that. And every time we do this as parents, we are slightly singling out that particular child and we're kind of at an unconscious level we're saying you know I need you I favor you I depend on you therefore you're the best you're the biggest you're the strongest and of course the reason we shouldn't do this is because that then trickles down into the sibling dyad yeah because everybody if you think about um, the sibling relationship sits within a huge multifaceted family system mm. with lots of people involved in it, both consciously and unconsciously, because a lot of our communication comes through, you know, verbal, very clear messages. But a lot of it we we pick up in the non-verbal realm. And these are in feeling states, you know. So again, when I say to people, well, how do you know you weren't, you know, acknowledged in that way or your parents thought this? And very often people will say, I, well, I don't really know it. I can't sort of put my finger on it. I just felt it. I just yeah. knew it at a feeling level. Yeah. And I think also it can be incredibly, you can feel very rejected um, if you feel left out, if you feel that if you're not the favourite child, even if it's not that extreme. And I have, and I'm sure you have had some cases where it is very extreme. It's very obvious. Sometimes I get letters 
and one child is the one that's punished they become the the you know the literal and metaphorical whipping boy but although they may be one hopes exceptions sometimes the more subtle things like you know dad or mum favours that one or always asks that one can make the other one feel very left out how might they deal with those feelings because obviously it'd be great if they said hang on a minute I feel left out but it's generally not the way it works is it what happens I think what you've hit on there is really important to just acknowledge again it's often the very nuanced ways that siblings uh, pick these messages up you know when it's sort of directly said it's very transparent it's clear and it's in the air and it's therefore got room for negotiation if you like visible stuff's always easier to deal with than the the less visible so when when a child picks things up in a more covert way then that kind of damage if you like to the child's personality can often go unseen for example there's this thing, you know, we talk about negative self-talk. We all have it at some degree, you know, I think I'm this, I should do this, I should do that. That often has come through that parental, verbal and non-verbal communication. That is, you know, in, in the things that parents say, such as, you know, oh, little Jenny, she's great at maths. She's, you know, she's a whiz with numbers, but quite frankly, couldn't kick a ball to save her life. Whereas, you know, little Billy here, he's fantastic. He's going to be a great sportsman, fine, just as well, because, you know, he's not so great with the academia. So it's little things like this that get picked up that really settle within a person's psyche and turn into those realms of negative self-talk, uh, low self-esteem, difficulties in other relationships as you grow up, not feeling you're worthy, not feeling you're being recognised, acknowledged. But that can happen even if you're a single child. How might that impact on you if you, if you have a sibling? Well, what this can do is create great sibling rivalry. Now, again, to a degree, sibling rivalry is natural, it's normal, it's evolutionary programmed in us, you know. You, uh, you're born, the whole sort of first initial stage for a child is to gain the parent's attention. We know innately without our parents' attention and their closeness that we don't survive. But when we see that in um, sibling relationships where one child feels left out or not so not so high up in the pecking order, then this can cause great concern for parents because it will come out in a form of sibling rivalry. How so? Well, you see things like in, in, you know, in the therapy room constantly, we see relationships that are fractured because of conflict, because of jealousies, any kind of fracture or disruption to the relationship. You see it, you know, often when parents die and estates are divided up, you know, the chaos and conflict that goes on usually acted out through a different medium such as finance or possessions. There's great fights in siblings over possessions. But really, this is... It's about love. Yeah, it's about love and where that love went and who had more of it and who, who's felt bereft and a great loss in, in not having the ex or the felt experience of being loved by the two people in life that should love you the most. Often, like if people come to me and they say, you know, my children don't get on, 
But often I wonder what's happening with the parents, either between them or the relationship between the parents and the child. Because so if a child feels rejected by their parents, they can enact, can't they, that rejection onto their sibling. So they might leave them out. That is human nature, isn't it? We, we tend to, feelings that are negative, that we can't ourselves deal with, we tend to project them. And generally speaking, it goes down the pecking order. So if the older one feels usurped, they will enact the rejection. It doesn't really come out of nowhere, is what I'm sort of trying to say, does it? No, for me, it always start, starts in the home. You know, it it's a parent's job to make good sibling relationships, but it's a really difficult one. If we're feeling hurt and upset and neglected, or the real issue here is about the fear of abandonment. And let's face it, when you're a child, and it's different at different ages and stages, you're unlikely to act out that fear be it in aggression or withdrawal or whatever it might be, you're highly unlikely to act that out against the parent because, again, you you are innately programmed to stay close to your caregivers. The next nearest and dearest, and I always say to clients, you know, one thing to remember is you we, we often fight with the ones we feel closest to because the fight feels okay it feels safe enough that's where you will act out against your siblings you will take out whatever it is you're feeling and project it onto them be it you know angry even if it's anger at at something the parents doing you may be not even aware of it fully but those feelings those emotions you know that feels so intolerable that you can't manage and if the younger child can't work it out then it comes out in the in the um, sibling conflict aggression. I, I totally agree. I mean, I often say, you know, the sibling relationship that if looking on it as a parent can tell us a lot about what's going on for them in the outside world, what might be going on for them with us as well. You know, sometimes I think, you know, I, I, I try really, I'm very thoughtful about that, but that's because I've learned that that can be a real mirror to the way I am mothering or maybe something else that's going on outside as well. I think it's a really important thing to acknowledge. You know, I, I, I know it with myself, you know, if I come home and, you know, my husband hasn't done something and, you know, usually put the bin out or something like that. And I've had a bad day at work and I feel a bit grumpy and irritable and I come in and, you know, my son's standing there. Whoa, before you know it, he's getting all that anger and pent up aggression that really is, for, you know, meant for somebody else. Sometimes, you know, thrown at him completely and then you know my daughter might walk in behind I'm like hello darling how are you and I can see the look on his face when he's standing there like what Mm. what was all that about which is fine but I think it's like you said about Winnicott it's how you go back and handle that because we all make mistakes but it's really important to go back and say do you know what yesterday I was I was really stressed I didn't mean to take that out on you and you explain because then they know it's not their fault And also you're modelling actually that, you know, you can say sorry. I think where the real damage is done is repeated less than best behaviour or less than good enough behaviour and then no explanation, no room for discussion. Life's not perfect and nor are we. So you need to have some ruptures. You need conflict in order to manage and practice conflict resolution. And this also helps at a psychological level to really strengthen our our reserves you know we don't we learn how to go up and down in the relationship 
with the good, the bad and the ugly, because we're, we're not so scared that we won't come back to, we won't end up back together. And I think this is what happens with siblings uh, and, and sibling conflicts, because that kind of modeling has been lacking in, in the household, because the sibling relationship is such a powerful and intoxicating, such a deeply psychological one. When the ruptures happen, they usually felt very severely. They hurt extremely. It's really difficult to come back from that. And if you, if you, not ha you don't have a good template for that, you know, an internal template for that, then sibling relationships often fracture and fracture sort of for lifetime. So how involved should you get? I mean, obviously, this is going to be dependent on age, but how involved should you get if your children are arguing or fighting? A good sibling relationship is a parental job. You know, it, it's the duty kind of the, the parent to make this happen as well as possible. And considering at what age and stage your children are at, I think it is your duty to step in and help that Res, uh, conflict resolution take place. It is your duty to try to bring the children together again and to map out a way for them to come back safely and with. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Some skill sets. What might you start saying to them? What, what, how do you build a good template? 
As with any age and stage, it's about communication. And the younger the child, the more help they will need. It's about finding the dialogue and the narrative, I think, to help them notice what's happening and then to be able to name it. So it's a case of saying, you know, okay, acknowledging the upset, acknowledging what's going on. So, okay, I can see that you're really angry and naming the real emotion too. Parents very often confuse the emotion by saying, you know, you've got a child kicking and screaming on the floor and you'll often hear parents say, you know, oh, he's just tired. Well, he's not actually tired. He's really furious and full of energy because he's angry. So it's helping the children to notice and name what's happening and how they're feeling is a real good start to then helping them to generate a dialogue between the two of them that comes to some kind of agreed outcome that works. The more the parent can stay calm, the more the parent can modulate their voice, their tone of voice, their posture, their gestures, and also in conflict, one of the really most important things a parent can do is, is, is pay attention to their facial expressions. Because the more the child can see that you're calm, and that you're going to you're acting as the protector particularly in younger children the quicker they will start to ease and calm down too but with physical violence it's really important to make that boundary clear what advice can we give to parents who have one child and another child is on the way what are things to look for you know do's and don'ts about introducing a new baby really important to acknowledge the age and stage of the child that is expecting and awaiting the birth of the next child. And the lead up to that is really important. The more the groundwork, so it's, it doesn't come as a shock. So again, clean language, explaining as much as the child's able to manage what's going on, what's going to happen, and how that's going to look within reason. Then once the second baby arrives, I think it's about just doing as much as possible to keep the first child included creating dual tasks that she might do with mom and newborn, making sure that uh, you pay attention to any changes in the child's behavior or mood, and they're not ignored. I thought I was doing really well. My firstborn was three when my son was uh, came along. And, you know, I've really laid the groundwork. There's some good books in the market. We talked. She'd helped me do the nursery, and we'd bought little things together. And then he came along. And about three weeks into him being here, I suddenly realized it had gone very quiet in the playroom. And I went through to find my daughter had pulled my son's little legs through his little bouncy chair. I was quite happily bouncing him all up and down off the ground. I was like, oh, no, we let's just stop that, shall we? And she's like, yes, he can go back now. <laughs> I was like, mm, okay, so maybe that worked in my yeah. So there's bound to be ups and downs, but it's it's just about you know, trying to keep them included, giving them good information. And when it does go wrong, not losing it and reprimanding the firstborn, you know? It's not her fault, it's not his fault. I was gonna say, I think it's really important not to tell them how they feel, but listen. Because, you know, not to say things up like, you love your baby brother, don't you? Well, maybe they don't. You might say something like, you know, yes, it's, you know, it's difficult. It's, there's been a lot of changes. We do hear a lot about, you know, a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts like, you know, you love him, don't you? Well, actually, 
And primitively speaking, no, he's just come in and taken you away from me. So quite frankly, I hate him and I want to kill him. You know, that's a, that's a natural thing. So it's about you know, like you say, getting the conversation going, not putting the shoulds and the shouldn'ts in, letting the child speak, and navigating the causeway. Yeah, and trying to find some time if you can to spend one on one with that child. Nicole, at the beginning, you mentioned an age gap and you said it depends. Sometimes a sibling rivalry can depend. What difference does the age gap make in your experience? The older the child is, the more they can understand what's going on. The more they're likely to have their own social network system going. So round about the age of three or four, when the child starts to go to nursery or school, they have already naturally started that separation process from, let's say, mom or primary caregiver. So the idea and the advent of a second little person coming in and taking away mom's attention doesn't feel so intense. So there's not so much of a threat. So one would argue that as the child, the older the child, in some ways, the better the integration of the second child. They have had more time on their own, but the sense of the loss of mom intrapsychically you know isn't as great because suddenly there's a whole new world's opened up to me out there you know i've got some friend i've got new friends i've got a teacher who i love i i go out of the house for a big chunk of the day and i come back it's not so intense my need for mom is not so intense if i'm under the age of five six seven and i'm at home and I'm still vying and very much dependent on mum's love and attention, then my loss of her is potentially going to feel that much greater. Yeah, I mean, I think there is no ideal gap. The ideal gap is really what works for you. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people are very obsessed with sort of a two-year age gap. I don't know why. I, I have five and a half years between my children, and that was on purpose, and it's a fantastic gap for us, not for everyone. Theoretically speaking, at the, the child the infant starts to separate out from mom round about the age of two and a half, three. They start to branch out. The toddler starts moving away. They become curious and inquisitive in the world. And that focus on mom starts to lessen. But if you have a child, you know, a year after the first one, it's about what you do with it again, you know? It's acknowledging that at that age and stage, the first child is potentially going to feel the loss of you greater because they're still so much more dependent on you well their need for you is greater their need for you is greater yes and obviously that's an issue with sibling relationships because if they feel it and it's not and they're not helped to deal with then they can project that onto the new child absolutely and they are those little relational fractures those relational traumas that can really take hold in a person's personality and become their experience of a relational template that affects their ability to trust in relationships it affects their sense of self-esteem as you know their sense of core self and that can travel through life then have an impact on all their adult relationships mm. and also some it's not always about the uh, first child feeling left out sometimes the younger ones if they're told a story of you know your 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 brother was happy until you came along or 
you know, that can be equally really damaging that you feel that child feels that they've taken away something. If that's the narrative, I think we need to be really careful of family narratives. We've spoken very much about, you know, children. Um, and obviously there are older siblings whose relationships are fractured. And I don't know what your experience is, but mine, without exception of 12 years, 13 years nearly of doing this, if they have a fractured adult relationship, it can always be traced back to when they were children. What's your experience of that? I think you're right. I think when we, you know, I sit with lots of people whose relationships with their siblings are, you know, as adults are very difficult. And whether or not the person acknowledges the root cause of that, or whether they're able to, to see it, you can generally always trace it back to something that happened within the family, the family dynamics. And that's trickled down from their relationships with their parents and then each other. Yes, I think it's very useful if you're not getting on with your adult sibling to think what was childhood like. Yeah, where did I, you know, what can I trace this back to? What are any reinforcing memories that what's happening now links into, you know? When did I first start to feel resentment? Or when did I first start to feel jealousy? And what were the narratives? What was said around, you know, what was said around that? What's my dialogue around that? And who first said it? Where did I first hear it? You know, where did I hear I'm not the clever one? Sarah is. You know, when did I first start to think that? And is it actually true? That's the other thing. It's thinking now, is that actually true? I definitely I agree with that. And also, so not only if you're an adult and you look back and you think, what was this like? And, you know, what might you do? Some some people, I mean, I don't know how popular sibling therapy is. Do you know, it's really interesting. I was just thinking about it. I think I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've worked with siblings in two siblings in the room together. I think the other thing to say here is that there is a lot of stigma, I think, attached to sibling conflict because at the root of it often are the very, you know, the very deep, deeply shaming things such as jealousy, envy, love, hate. I think we, we're embarrassed to open up or own that our sibling relationships are fractured, you know? I know in my own sibling relationships, they've been great and they've been really terrible. And it's difficult to own, it's difficult to talk about it. I mean, we were talking about wills earlier and I, I also get lost letters about that and it's siblings at war and, you know, I always think it is it is about the money but it's also about what we said about what the money represents and I'm also always struck by how when I hear about adult siblings not getting on, how very childlike their emotions are. They're often irrational and very, very primitive. You know, I often say, who can make you cry the hardest and the longest? My sister, mm. my brother, yeah. Um, it's because the psychobiology of the sibling relationship is is it starts from the very beginning. It's absolutely through every vein of our body, and it's so intense. Yeah, and also there's no one you're so genetically linked to than your siblings. 
Nicole, you must have also seen good sibling relationships. I know I have. And there's a couple of things that characterise them. One of them is respect. The other thing is allowing your sibling their own narrative. Because if there's five siblings in a family, or two or four, however many, each will have a separate memory of childhood or family events. And I have seen some siblings shut down usually it's the older ones shut down the younger one saying that didn't happen it didn't happen like that and I always slightly cringe at that because I think you know ask even ask five separate people to recount what they just saw and they will be slightly different what other characteristics do you think mark out a successful sibling relationship again respect acknowledging each other's differences I think that's really important celebrating those differences humor being able to talk about the past and celebrate the funny bits you know because when we're we're in conflict it's all about the bad bits we often forget to celebrate acknowledge and remember the good bits too you know the bits where you were great allies but also i think you know, giving each other permission to have your own experience is probably one of the most powerful and most respectful things we can do with our siblings. And finding compassion for each other. Growing up in families, it's difficult. We need to acknowledge what that was like for each of us individually. And allowing people to have their own experiences is a very empowering but also a very healing experience, you know, to think that you are being acknowledged by your siblings and they are validating and sometimes through that normalizing your experience, that can often be the, the avenue to coming back together. And also being seen as an individual. One of the things I did when I was expecting my second child is I actually interviewed my sister about what it was like when I was born. Oh, wow. Really, really illuminating, actually. I'd never done that. I'd never asked her what it was like. And I was determined not to make what I perceived to be the same mistakes. You know, that's so fantastic because we all do have our own fantasies. You know, I can look back and think of my sister's past and present and I instantly have a, a, a whole dialogue that comes forward, you know, about she was this and and um, she was the spoilt one. It was okay for her because you know, that was the youngest. She got away with murder. But I'm sure and, and, and I know that the experience was often very different for her, you know. It was quite quite... Um, quite disabling and you know infantilizing in many respects but we do produce our own fantasies definitely I think there's nothing like the sibling relationship to make your view very subjective and that's why I think it's so important to allow for a different narrative um, like you mentioned the compassion so I think if anyone's listening and thinking I don't really get on that well you know maybe try and start a dialogue with your siblings find out what it was like for them when you arrived or depending on which order you are and look for the connection as well like you said look for look for the points of connection start at a good point and work backwards frame something that is shared that you shared that was a good experience that is still potentially a good experience and start with that and work backwards because often these this this disruption was done to you and done to both of you not necessarily because you know parents were setting out to do any harm or whatever but often these discrepancies these hurts these 
failures were handed to handed down to you you inherited them from your parents so that means you don't you have an option and a choice whether or not to take them forward and create a time and a space that is safe you know particularly the more conflict in relationships you know if you are going to try and come together then you know put a little contract around it make it a safe space decide what's on the table and what's not and just take things slowly Thank you very much to Nicole Addis, who is a psychotherapist and a member of UKCP. You can find Nicole's YouTube channel. It's called Nicole Addis Tips for the Day. She also has a website, www.peeluk.com. I hope you found that an interesting discussion. Maybe you'll look at your own siblings in a different way. You might look at what life was like for them when you arrived, or you may rethink what happened when they were born. And if you're a parent, maybe you'll look at your children in a slightly different way. I hope it was useful. The series is produced by Hester Kent. The music is by Toby Dunham. And our artwork is by Lo Cole. Follow us on social media, on Instagram, at Pocket Annalisa. You can read my Ask Annalisa Barbieri column in The Guardian magazine every Saturday. And we'd love to hear your suggestions for topics you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts. Please email us at conversationswithanalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed and benefited from today's episode, do please share it with someone else you think might find it useful. And it would mean a lot to us if you could give us a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and do join us again. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. 
I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.